Today is Wednesday, November 1st, 2023, and this is a Daily Inc. update. Another 300 U.S. troops are being deployed to the Middle East, according to the U.S. Pentagon and Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. The surge in troops to that area will not necessarily put troops on the ground in Israel. Brigadier General Patrick Ryder says the troops will provide capabilities and explosive ordnance disposal, communications, and other support to the forces that are already in the region. Meanwhile, the Houthi people groups in the country of Yemen have had their military spokesman, Yahya Sarai, declare war on Israel as it battles Hamas terrorists in the Gaza Strip. The Houthi military have now launched ballistic and cruise missiles, along with drones, targeting the Israeli military. Sarai says the attacks are to support the Palestinians who are facing American-Israeli aggression. Israel's media is reporting that the drones have been shot down and that the missiles intercepted by their aero defense system near the Red Sea. Over here along the U.S.-Mexico border, Border Hawk Media is now showing video footage of razor wire being lifted by heavy equipment rather than being cut so that illegal aliens can crawl underneath it. That's all being done by federal Border Patrol agents. Several independent reporters from the Eagle Pass, Texas area have documented the federal Border Patrol agents aiding illegal aliens by cutting the razor wire so they can slip through. This prompted a lawsuit from Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton against the Biden administration and a federal judge issuing an injunction to stop those Border Patrol agents from cutting the razor wire. However, Border Hawk reporter Efrain Gonzalez says another route to aid illegal aliens is now developing. This huge caravan of around 300 migrants crossed into Eagle Pass thanks to Border Patrol agents lifting the barbed wire. The hundreds of migrants crossed in a few minutes, this being the four massive crossing that our cameras witnessed in the last days of October. An amicus brief filed by the American Civil Liberties Union in favor of Donald Trump and against the gag order placed on him has now been dismissed by U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin. Chutkin actually rejected all motions coming from third-party interests in this case. Trump is being prosecuted by special counsel Jack Smith for challenging the 2020 election results. Chutkin ordered Trump to not say anything about the prosecution lawyers, the defense lawyers, or the witnesses during the trial. Trump is in the process of appealing the judge's gag order, but it remains in place during that appeal process. Someone who is able to speak freely after years of legal battles during the Trump administration is General Michael Flynn. Flynn went on a podcast with Joy Therer and unloaded on what he's observing when it comes to the level of Marxist socialist control within the U.S. government and other institutions. Our country <laughs> is being taken over and and we we are in desperate need of, of strong leaders to rise up, to, uh, you know, through this mess and uh, and and basically hopefully get back, you know, get our country back on track. But it's not going to be by the people that are currently sitting in the White House or sitting in some of these really critical departments of government like Mm -hmm. justice, defense, state, uh, and clearly the uh, head of our intelligence system. You know, these are people that are radicalized. I mean, I mean, extremely radical, extremely radical. And they're Marxist. uh, and, they're, and they believe in this globalist agenda. Flynn also touched on something that the mainstream media refuses to even acknowledge or pursue by way of questioning. Here is what Flynn revealed about the overseas spying operations that uses leverage and blackmail against U.S. Congress members for unsavory crimes that are committed against children that the U.S. mainstream media continues to lump into the category of a conspiracy theory. 
we have right. the House of Rep- we have the House of Representatives right now is totally, completely broken, and yeah. they're totally owned by the corporate uh, lobbyists and, frankly, by the globalists who own many of these people because they've been compromised by by uh, on their some of these what they call Codell trips overseas, where th- these uh, members of uh, of uh, both the House and the Senate get compromised by sleeping with children. And they and they and they and they compromise. And these are real things. These are very real things. The number of aliases that President Joe Biden likes to operate under is really piling up. The National Archives have now released 82,000 pages of private emails that were written when Joe Biden was vice president and working within the Obama administration. The latest revelation of decoy names that Biden communicated under is all because of a Freedom of Information lawsuit that was filed by the Southeastern Legal Foundation against the National Archives in order to gain those documents. The emails were sent during the full eight years that Biden was VP and included the fake names of Robin Ware, J.R.B. Ware, and Robert Peters. The chairman of the House Oversight Committee, James Comer, told Newsmax it's only a matter of time before his committee is looking at those emails in regards to the impeachment inquiry against Joe Biden and the investigation into his pay-to-play influence peddling schemes. Whenever you start digging into the Bidens, you get you get a whole lot more than what you expect. So National Archives is, is under our uh, radar now. Uh, they're they're involved in the mishandling of classified documents uh, by both Joe Biden as well as Donald Trump. Uh, it seems like they're you know front and center and and always available to dish on Donald Trump, but they can't tell us anything about Joe Biden's mishandling classified documents. Now we find out they have eighty two thousand emails that were they're using pseudonyms. What were the Bidens trying to hide? I think we know the answer to that, but that's a question the National Archives should be should be asking themselves. And here is the third part of a discussion that was held on the Steve Kirsch podcast about the DNA contaminants that were found within the COVID-19 plasmid by several scientists. In this particular conversation, the scientist who is talking is Kevin McKiernan from the U.S. Physician here is really good. I'm good at studying DNA. It's there. All right. We've got that confirmed all over the world. Um, Six different labs. Um, It's there in the vials. The next question is, is it in patient samples that have been injured? Is it in patient samples that haven't been injured? We need to look at both populations to see see what's going on here. Um, So for those not familiar with what this bioactive molecule is, uh, this SV40 enhancer has been published uh, prolifically as being a tool used in gene therapy. So it takes DNA and drags it right to the nucleus in hours. Um, We can also forward your audience other papers suggesting that when you do mammalian transfection like this, a subset of the cells, somewhere around seven to ten percent of the cells, get permanently integrated when you bombard them with with um, linear fragments of DNA like this. Uh, so to say that this isn't an issue is really, uh, I think, willful misconduct. Uh, you you have to take a precautionary principle and say, now wait a minute, we don't know if this is an issue. We know there's DNA in there that shouldn't be, that was never disclosed and never consented to. We know it's in a transfection vehicle, and we know it has a sequence that drags it to the nucleus. Those three things are enough to ring alarm bells to stop. Stop and look to see if there's integration happening, because if there is, there's a whole host of other complications that we have to begin looking at. These natural story updates have been brought to you by Open Inc., a website that is a repository of documents for those who like deep digging, critical thinking and true journalism where the facts speak for themselves. Up next, a preview of what is coming and what is available on the Open Inc. website.
This week on the Open Inc. website, an article has been posted to honor True the Vote founder Catherine Engelbrick. The article was co-written by Greg Phillips and Catherine's adult daughter about the divine guidance of God in the life of Esther. Now, you may remember Esther is the queen who helped save the Jewish people who were in exile and is detailed in the Old Testament book that's named in her honor. This article is about the divine guidance of Esther's placement at a seat of power and influence within the Babylonian kingdom, her integrity and commitment to God and her people in the face of insurmountable odds of those seeking the destruction of both, and her courage to play a part in stopping evil at a critical juncture in Jewish history. This article can be found at open.inc under the articles tab in the upper right-hand corner of the screen. As the lawsuit continues in Georgia that involves True the Vote and has been brought by Stacey Abrams' Fair Fight organization, along with Mark Elias and the Biden Department of Justice, there is also another lawsuit that seems to be lingering in no man's land when it comes to judicial actions. Uncovered D.C. and Wendy Mahoney are revealing that a Georgia judge, Robert McBurney, has yet to be replaced in the counterfeit ballot case that has been brought by Garland Favorito and his group Voter GA. The whole case is now in some sort of holding pattern after a motion for recusal of Judge McBurney for his bias was filed by Voter GA this past May. Uncovered D.C. is pointing out that According to Georgia law, the courts have had 90 days to address this motion, but have simply blown past that deadline by two months now and with not a word or indication of any action. Rasmussen reports has taken notice of this case and has suggested that the delays by the judges in the system is an example of judicial capture and kill method. That is apparently a method used by judges to avoid a case that is too hot to handle or too controversial for them to deal with. The case brought by Garland Favorito is seeking to have citizens in Georgia inspect 147,000 ballots out of Fulton County, which are alleged to be counterfeits. So the lawsuit has now seen three years of stonewalling from within the judicial system. Fulton County keeps recurring in the news. It's a hot spot for another case, the one involving Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis, who has launched a lawsuit against Donald Trump and his attorneys for challenging the 2020 presidential election results in that state. True the Votes lawsuit involves the federal courthouse, which is located in Fulton County as well, and that also involves a bevy of lawyers who are leveling all of their legal expertise against True the Vote for making Georgia citizens aware of the ineligible voters on their voter rolls. Are you seeing a pattern here? Catherine recently got to the gist of all of this lawfare and judicial negligence when she posted an update on Locals.com with Greg Phillips that occurred this past Monday. We've got a really, really good team here. We are a small team, but we are capable. On the other side of the aisle, they have um, 13 attorneys, plus all of their paralegals and support staff, plus the Department of Justice, which I think has five attorneys sitting in the court. And then two rooms full, we learned. uh, Yeah, a room full in addition. So there are, they have, they have brought out, you know, all manner of, of, attorneys to face off in, in, in this case. And it, and it shows you how important it is because what's at stake here is not really just the, the process of being able to be heard in your County by saying, I, you know, we, we, according to the Georgia standard standard 21 dash two dash two gives electors an opportunity to file these types of challenges. It is totally legal it is should be embraced. It is a part of petitioning your government. It is a part of free speech. It is it is a part of good civic engagement. So all of that is is 
reason enough to stand and defend this process. But what's more, and I think the more, as the days wear on here, what you begin to really see, and it's it's really, um, it's hard to see because you, you understand this for what it is. This is an t- attempt to silence us all, just like the what's going on with the indictments in Georgia and with what President Trump is having to go through. Uh, we are just a, a different layer of that same cake. Mm-hmm. They are trying to silence everyone from dissent of any sort. And that's why it's all the more important that we stand for you know, what the lawful process that we upheld back in 2020 and make sure that, that these that these rights are are protected moving forward. We can't just we, we, we can't just take a pass. So it's, it's hard, but it must be done. The whole article about Esther, which has been dedicated to Catherine, seems all the more fitting in light of Catherine's expressed determination to do what is right and get to the truth. Now, isn't it? Well, thanks for listening to this Daily Inc. update. Mm-hmm.